Revelation chapter 20 is where we're at this evening as we continue in this study. If you haven't been with us, what we've been doing the last few weeks is we're studying Bible prophecy. What does the future hold? What's predicted? And we were talking about a variety of those different predictions. That predicts a lot of what's happening in the world today. Now where we're at is we're beyond some of that in this study. And we're talking about when Jesus Christ has returned to earth, he is going to set up a kingdom. Initially that kingdom is going to be a thousand year kingdom. And it's described in Revelation chapter 20 and we've read this, but let's read it again because there's a couple of phrases in there that are very interesting. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent which is the devil, Satan, and bound him for a, a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years be fulfilled. After that he must be loosed for a little season. And I saw thrones and that are and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus during that worst seven years of tribulation, the worst time the world will ever know. And for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, that's Antichrist, his mark is the 666, they did not receive that, neither upon their hands or their foreheads. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, on such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. I want to focus in on just that one phrase, and do a little bit of a uh, Bible study from another text in a few moments about that resurrection. What's he talking about? What's he mean about that? We've been talking about this millennium, how great it is. There's a couple things I didn't mention about the millennium. One of the things that it says in scripture that's going to happen during the millennium, God's going to answer prayers very, very quickly. This is a passage from Isaiah. I forgot to put the reverence, and I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head. But he talks about how he will answer really, really quickly. One of the other things that we mentioned this morning, Israel will be the predominant nation, and there's going to be world peace. There's a passage out of Isaiah that talks about how Israel will get along with Egypt and Assyria, like they do today. (laughs) that they will even become allies during that time period because of the world peace as Isaiah talks about in that day shall Israel be a third with them. That's with Egypt and Assyria even a blessing in the midst of the land. So during that time uh, the the animosities that happened in the Mideast, all those ancient animosities, they'll be removed. They'll be gone. Because the people living in this kingdom will get along and they'll put aside all those things. So those are two of the blessings that are coming. But there's a phrase that shows up in this text that I want to develop a little bit more. And it's that phrase, first resurrection. Well, this much I know out of this text. That when he talks about the first resurrection, it's a resurrection of people. It's individuals that are resurrected. It's, it's that idea that the tribulation saints, the people who didn't follow Antichrist, we would say future tense. I'm going to be speaking from this text, so I'm talking past tense. That the people that during that seven years futured us, but passed to this text, they didn't receive his mark. They didn't follow him. They suffered huge persecutions. They're going to be resurrected, brought back to life physically. Their spirits and bodies will be joined, and they'll have those bodies that will go into this thousand years, and will live through that thousand years. The resurrection that they experience is one of power. Power in the fact that even though they died horrible deaths, their bodies, even though they were, they were mutilated, their bodies are going to come back in good form. 
And they're going to have those bodies that are going to be powerful. So powerful they will never experience death again. They'll never experience separation from God. The second death that we'll speak about in a couple weeks. Then there's something else that happens is they are going to experience privileges. Those who in this group, in this first resurrection, they're going to have the opportunity to serve, to rule and reign with Jesus Christ and serve as priests. But the part that throws me is the phrase, first resurrection. I got to say it doesn't throw me, but it creates questions. There are many people who wonder and say, well, wait a minute. If this is the first resurrection mentioned in Revelation 20, then that has to mean we're not getting raptured until Revelation 20. Because it's the first resurrection. The first time anybody. And you've been preaching, Pastor Wayne, that the Bible teaches that we're going to be raptured at any moment and we will be changed. Our bodies will be renewed. And Jesus could come back. And then the world goes into a tribulation. Then Jesus comes back after those seven years. And then there's this resurrection mentioned in this passage. Well, if it's the first one, then... We Christians have to be resurrected after the tribulation. And so it creates a lot of debate because what does first mean? And so most of us, initially our first response, I'm going to use the same term to define it, that's silly. Our immediate response to first is we think in numerical order as opposed to in the nature of the resurrection. And I want to show you this evening that the emphasis isn't upon the number, the emphasis is upon the nature of the resurrection. And there isn't a conflict to say that we are a part, we get raptured early, and these saints, they don't get resurrected until after the tribulation. We are part of that same group, that same type, that nature of resurrection that is the first, the best one, the, the first to occur happening in phases. And I'll show you here as we go through. The passage one jump to is 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15 describes in depth what our resurrection is going to be like, what our bodies will be like. And when we are going to do this discussion, let's, let's be very simplistic with it. Let's define what a resurrection is. Let's make sure we are all on the same page. Because there's a lot of confusion, a lot of debate that people will have about what is the resurrection. Let's give a definition to it. Okay, the resurrection is when one of us, our earthly body, is changed to become an eternal body, able to live and function in either heaven or on earth. Now, it could happen to somebody who's dead and comes back to life. It could happen to individuals who are living and all of a sudden they're removed and their bodies are changed. They're given a resurrected body. They didn't come out of the ground, but they left the ground. That event is what we have to look forward to if we're alive when the rapture comes back. And it's when our bodies are changed to put on immortality or eternality. It happens to everyone. Okay, Some people will be resurrected to life in heaven. Some will be resurrected so that their bodies are changed, their souls are reunited with their bodies, and they're going to end up in hell with the resurrection bodies that never deteriorate, never are, are uh, going to end up dying again in the sense that they'll cease, their bodies will forever and ever experience the damnation of hell. And so resurrection is basically putting on eternality, immortality in your body. So that's a basic, simple definition. How do we know it's going to happen? That seems so far out. That seems so unreal. Well, we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
And in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, he's giving this whole summation about the resurrection. He's talking about it, and he makes it very clear. And if we were just to jump in the middle of the text, he would make it clear, for as Adam, in Adam all die, in Christ shall all be made alive. And I'm going to make the simple statement. The Bible says it's going to happen. The resurrection will happen. Everyone suffers a physical death because of Adam and the introduction that he brought in sin into the human race. Even so, Jesus brings the possibility, the reality of the resurrection to everyone who's ever lived. Some to eternal life, some to eternal damnation. And so the Bible claims it. But the whole chapter is unfolding this way. In the first few verses of the chapter, they're arguing the resurrection based upon Jesus resurrected. Our resurrection is going to come because of Jesus. So the author says, let's start with what's going on with the reality of just what happened a few years before this book was written. Jesus was resurrected. He talks about it that according to the scriptures, Jesus was died, buried, and resurrected. According to the scriptures. Says that twice. Makes that comment. He says that when Jesus was resurrected, he was seen of Cephas, and then he was seen of some of the apostles. Then he was seen of 500 at one time. Look at the verses where he talks about that. He says that this was eyewitnesses. Jesus resurrected. Jesus was alive. And he makes that comment in verse 12 through 19. He says, if Jesus didn't resurrect, then what about us? He says, if, if Christ be not risen, verse 14, then our preaching's in vain, our faith is in vain. Yea, we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified that God hath raised him up, and whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead ri- don't rise, and if the dead rise not, then Jesus Christ never rose. He says, but we know our faith is built upon this. People saw Jesus. There is life after death. There is a resurrection. And so we know it's going to happen, even though it was a tragedy for those individuals. Here's a tragedy. Here's a tragedy. This gal, she all of a sudden, her name is Ruth Dillo. She heard the news from the military department several years ago that her son was killed in action. She was beyond consolation. Her son that she had raised had died as in service to the Lord. And all of a sudden... Three days later, she gets a phone call. And that phone call is, hey, Mom, how you doing? And she recognized Clayton right away, and she says, you're dead. He says, uh, who told you that? There was a mix-up in the State Department. And they gave her the wrong information. And she said, I don't care if what, what the information was, just he was alive. That's the way the disciples felt, right? That all of a sudden, Jesus was alive, what a relief. And so here's where we are. We, we who, who are followers of Christ, we know that there are some really famous places where people get buried. There's the pyramids. There's the, the Taj Mahal. There's in Britain and there's also in Paris. There's these tombs to these individuals. You know what's the difference about all these tombs? The most famous tomb in the entire world, that one where it was Joseph's borrowed tomb, that Jesus was buried in? What's the huge difference? That tomb is empty. These all have bodies in them. They had at least bodies until some of them got robbed. But Jesus' body, he came out on his own. Jesus is totally different. Jesus resurrected, and so we know that we're going to be resurrected because Jesus is called, look at verse 20. Jesus is called the first fruits. Do you know what first fruits are? 
It's, it's a term that comes from ancient Near East. That's the idea of, we talk about Near Eastern religions, A-N-E, ancient Near East. Both Gentile and Jewish. That a lot of them had this where the first bit of your harvest, you would grab and you would wave, this in particular for the Jews, you would wave as a wave offering before the Lord. The first fruits offering. And it was as you waved it before the Lord, you were doing two things. Thank you. Thank you, God, for giving us a harvest that's going to feed my family. And also, you are indicating there's going to be a whole lot more here. And God, I'm thankful for it. And I'm giving you the praise for the first bit of it. First fruits is the idea of a promise of a whole lot more to come. So when Jesus is called the first fruits, it means there's going to be a whole lot more resurrected the way he was resurrected. It's a promise of God. He is our, the first fruits of the resurrection. Now, this passage is going to talk about a little bit more, but we need to answer a question. Some of you, or you're going to run into people at work, are going to say, wait a minute. How can Jesus be called the first fruits of the resurrection when others died and were raised again? Do you remember any of them during his ministry? Lazarus? The, Jairus' daughter? Anybody else? The young man from Nain, they're not true resurrections. Why not? They died again. They died again. Remember in John, we even read in John chapter 12 that the individuals who heard about John, Lazarus being resurrected, not only did they want to put Jesus to death, but they want to kill Lazarus as well. And so those people really weren't resurrections. They were whatever term you want to use. They were a miraculous resuscitation, different than the doctors can do. They were something miraculous, but it wasn't a complete resurrection. They didn't put on immortality. They were revived. They were recovered. They were, their souls and spirits came together in just a miraculous sense, but it wasn't a complete resurrection. And so when we talk about Jesus being the first resurrection, he's the first one that put on immortality eternality. And so what we come back to is Jesus being the first fruits. And because of that, look in verse 21. After he talks about Christ being, well, let's read it. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that sleep. For since by by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And so he's making it very clear. Christ is the one who will resurrect people. He resurrected himself. He's going to resurrect people. Then what he does in this text is he makes comparisons. And you have Adam of old, creation old, and you have Jesus. Adam is called the first Adam. Jesus is called the second Adam, okay? Because they both have such a major impact upon the human race. And so in this whole chapter, and I'm going to jump you down into verse 40, 41, 42, 43, and just to keep this in in this sequence of thinking, you jump to those verses and you watch if this is not the case, that all of a sudden he's going to make a comparison between Adam and Jesus. Adam, who is the first of all men, Jesus, who is the first of among all men. And what we know about the two of them is Adam was made from dirt. He was made from dust. He was made from the earth, it talks about. That he, was, he had an earthly body. Jesus descended from heaven. And he makes that comparison. Look at the verses. Verse 47 talks about how these two are different. One descended from heaven. One was here on earth. In fact, 
Adam made out of the components of materials of the earth, life was what? <sighs> Breathed into him. He was given life. What's the contrast with Jesus? Jesus gives the life. Okay? Big difference between the two. He goes on and talks about Adam disobeyed God. He sinned. Well, what do we know about Jesus? Okay? Was he ever obedient? Always obedient. Okay? Always obedient. Never sinned. Let's make another contrast. As a result of Adam's disobedience, he introduced into the human race sin and thereby death. Okay? What did Jesus bring to the human race? Righteousness, life, such a contrast between the two. And that's important in this text where he says, we are made in the image of Adam. And that is true. When he talks about human bodies, are we similar the way our bodies are? DNA, construction, composure of bodies. Yeah, that's why we're humans. We differ from the animals. We have a unique makeup of us. Okay? And now in this text, making the comparisons, will we ever be made into the image of Jesus Christ? During the resurrection, we will be put into the image of Christ, becoming like Him when we are resurrected, putting on immortality, putting on that ability that He had. So this contrast is just setting this whole idea up that what Jesus provides is a whole lot better than what we've got, folk, even within the body even in the realm of, of this. And so his argument throughout this text is Jesus has the power to raise himself. And if he had the power to raise himself, he has the power to raise other people as well. And so that's the discussion through this book. And so our question is, well, when will that raising take place? When will that resurrection? Well, we see in the middle of the chapter where he makes the comment. He says that in the words that he uses in verse 22, shall be made alive. Every man in his own order. Christ the firstfruits. Afterwards. Then cometh the end. All of that is future tense. The resurrection that's going to be experienced isn't happening at the time that the scriptures were being written in that mid-60s. He is saying it's all future. How long in the future? Paul didn't know. It was a mystery. He didn't understand. But it was future. Now here is where some people at that time were already saying it's past. There was no future resurrection. And he makes sure, he says, hey listen, these guys are giving profane and vain babblings. That they are corrupting people. They have erred from the truth saying the resurrection has already occurred. He said it didn't. The resurrection I'm talking about is the resurrection of putting on immortality. Not a resuscitation of somebody like Lazarus. This is this miraculous event where you become like Jesus Christ. When does it occur? We know this. It occurs every man in his own order. He's talking about there's phases to this resurrection. When it occurs. And he, in talking about it, he says, well, not everybody's resurrected at the same time. Scripture's going to support this. There's going to be a first resurrection, there's going to be a second resurrection, and there's going to, it's going to take place in a, in a different frame. In fact, he says that it's going to happen in phases. How do I know that? He says, well, Christ was the first, and then those afterward, it says, they that are Christ, when he comes, did you catch that in this passage? Where he says, it, Christ the firstfruits, verse 23, afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. 
And then he says there will be another aspect, another whole group, then when he has delivered up this kingdom in relationship to the kingdom. And so what does he mean by all that? Where is this all going? Let, let's compare different passages of Scripture, just real briefly up here on the screen, that talk about two different resurrections that don't happen at the same time and their nature is totally different. There's a first and there's a second one. Jesus talked about it. Daniel talked about it. Revelations 20 talked about it. 1 Corinthians 15 alludes to it. Here's what you've got. Is you have in Daniel, he says, there's going to be a, the resurrection in the future. And it has two aspects to it. There's going to be some who are sleeping in the dust of the earth. They shall awake some to everlasting life. And then he goes on, some to everlasting contempt. A different, a different facet of different group of those who are resurrected. That fits exactly what Jesus was preaching. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear the voice and shall go forth, but not all to the same thing. He says very clearly, they that have done the good unto the resurrection of life, and he says they have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. In Revelations 20, we've talked about there's the group that followed Jesus. They are called the first resurrection. And those who don't follow Jesus, who are damned after their rebellion, it says that they will experience the second death, that he talks about the second resurrection. The rest of the dead live not again until the thousand years are over. And I saw the dead, the small and the great, stand before God, and the sea gave up the dead which were in them. Death and hell delivered them up, and they were judged according to their works. And if their names are not written in the Lamb's, Book of Life, they're going to be going into damnation. There's a first, there's a second resurrection. They are not all happening at the same time, and they don't end up in the same conclusions. First resurrection, second resurrection, one to life, one to damnation, one unto everlasting life, one unto, ever, unto shame and contempt, one that is when Christ comes one that happens to all the enemies after he delivered up the kingdom. We'll be talking about that one, the last, the second resurrection in two weeks. We'll be focusing on it, three weeks. And so what you have basically is the first, the nature of the first resurrection is all the saved. The nature of the second resurrection is dealing with all the lost. Okay, now I remind you, I'm going to throw this out and just, just like Jesus has phases of his coming, his future coming, he's going to come to the clouds and take up his own at the rapture. And then he's going to, the second phase of his future coming, he's going to come all the way down to... I'm so thrilled that you got this all, okay? Okay, there's two parts of his coming again. The rapture and what we call the second coming all the way to the earth, Okay? And so in that same way, there's two phases to this resurrection of the just. There's going to be that same time where we're living in the church age right now. The tribulation is ahead of us. Jesus will come at the end of that tribulation all the way to planet earth and set up his kingdom. Well, Jesus resurrected. Any moment now, we could be taken out in what's called the... Oh, that's so encouraging. Thank you. Okay, so much better. And then there's the resurrection of the Old Testament saints, and we all go into the kingdom together. Okay, but we're not resurrected at the same time, but we're part of that first resurrection of the just. That's happening in two phases. 
And so we already mentioned for us what it is and we've explained these texts already for the future. But putting that all together, what you have is two different resurrections. Resurrection of the saved, resurrection of the lost. You know what's interesting about this? None of these people will be lost. He's not going to forget about any of us. None of us. Okay, he doesn't, he doesn't, gonna, he's not going to, you know, that phrase in the military, leave, don't leave anyone behind. Okay, Jesus isn't going to leave any saved people in the grave. He's not going to forget about anybody. Now, we might forget about our kids at church. We might forget about birthdays. We might forget about anniversary. He's not going to forget us. So none of us will ever be lost or left behind. And the flip side of the lost who get resurrected, none of them will ever be saved. Once they're damned to hell, they're, they're in hell forever. That's a terrible thought. It's a scary thought. It's a profound thought that should challenge us to do our very best. So what we have is this that many of you are be wondering, what will our new resurrection bodies be like? Now we're going to get ours at the rapture. These talked about in, the, in Revelation, they're going to get theirs at the end of the tribulation going into the kingdom. So we're going to have the same type of bodies. They will. And what are those bodies like? Well, in 1 Corinthians, he tells us that our bodies are going to be not exactly like the bodies we had in this life. That's encouraging. Some of you are going, oh yes, I'm going to get a new body. I'm going to become a guy that can grow hair. I'm going to have long hair. Well, I don't know if that's going to be the case for me. Okay? I don't know if I'm going to get taller. I do hope I get thinner. Okay? So we have all these aspects. Here's what we know about it. Our bodies will be similar, but they're going to be superior. I think that's the theme of 1 Corinthians 15, the second half. Similar, but superior. How do I know that? Because in this text, he uses illustrations to describe your resurrection body. He uses an illustration of the seed. Look at verse 35 through 38. He'll talk about it where he just says, um, some man will say, how are the dead raised up and what's the, what about the body? You fool, that which is sown is not quickened except to die. And that which you sow, you sow not the body that shall be, but you sow the grain, the seed, that it may chance be of wheat or some other grain and it grows. What, what's he getting at? The seed is small. It's not attractive. I have, I have flower bulbs. I, I know that I can't grow anything, but I'm trying. Okay. One of you gave me some flower bulbs. And I know, I know this much, those flower bulbs have potential to looking great if I plant them and water them and if out of a miracle they grow in my place. I would not take those flower bulbs and put them in a vase because they're not that great looking. Seeds, whatever you put in, they're, they're not that attractive. But then they go into the ground, they die, they bury, and they produce something that is of the same kind. And they follow through, and they're not the exact same thing, but they're something similar but superior. They produce a better crop. They produce something that is phenomenal. So you take that seed, you take that bulb, you put it in, and you get a beautiful flower. He's saying that's the way our bodies are. They're going to be similar to what we have now, but they're going to come out a whole lot better. Object that he uses? The seed. Then he uses species. I wish Darwin had read his Bible this chapter. It would have been so, it would have answered the questions right away. Species produce within their own kind. Species. He talks about that in this text, where he makes that a comment just very simply 
all flesh is not the same flesh. There is one kind of flesh of man. There is another flesh of the beasts. There is another of the fishes. There is another of the birds. And they don't intermingle and crossbreed and become different. We aren't going to become Mr. Limpet and become a fish. We aren't going to all of a sudden become some other creature. We're similar when we get resurrected, we're similar and superior in that sense. Different species produce their own kind that are designed for their environments. The fish, the air, the birds, they're, they're going to have these different abilities. Similar but superior. And as well, that means we remain human. We stay within the species of humanity and we will have the ability to adapt to a new environment that is heavenly and earthly. We can manage and function in both realms. He gives a third illustration about the stars, about the solar system. Look at how he does that in verse 40 and 41. He says there are celestial bodies, there are terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is different. There is one glory of the sun, there's another glory of the moon, there's another glory of the stars. One star differs from another star in glory, so also is the resurrection of the dead. What's he mean by that? Well, you and I, standing here sometimes, we don't see the big difference between all the planets and all the stars. And when we go back into that day and age when he's writing, they knew about five planets, but they, this, you know, they, they didn't have the same knowledge you have. But these planets are giving off a glory. They're giving off a light. But we actually know that the moon isn't giving off its own light in and of itself. It is just simply reflecting. Okay. And, but he's saying from his human perspective, the heavenly bodies, they're similar. They give light. But some of them shine a whole lot more than others. Would you grant that that's true even today? Yes. Some stars, some plants are more brilliant than others. Yeah, that's true. Yes. Okay. Tell the person to wake up. It's only two more minutes. Okay. Okay. So he's going on. He says, but they're actually very different. They're very unique. Neptune is not the same as Jupiter. Okay, Saturn is different than Mars. And he's saying they have their uniqueness, they differ in brilliance, and yet they, they maintain. And the same with our resurrection bodies, the fact that we are going to maintain uniqueness. We will be similar, superior, but we will be individualistic. And we will maintain what we are. And so he's talking about that idea that our earthly bodies and present bodies are going to be so much better. And he sets up in the last couple of verse, uh, in the last section, some verses that we frequently use at funerals. Sown in, corruption raised in incorruption. That whole phrase, look at, and I'm not sure what translation you're using, but I want you to make sure you write down the words and have a clarity of what they mean. I'm using King James, and it says, verse 42, the, the, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. My body will go into the ground in corruption. It will be raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It will be raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, there is a spiritual body, and as it is written, and he makes a contrast between Adam and Jesus, and how we're going to, though we're like Adam now, we're going to become like Jesus. Let me make sure you understand those terms that are in those verses, so you're not confused. When it says sown, okay, buried in the ground, raised from the ground idea, okay, corruption, perishable, and incorruption would be imperishable. Okay, that's, that we understand. That makes perfect sense. Sown in dishonor, that doesn't mean that you know, your loved one is to be shamed. It just means that their body is not pretty once it dies. That it isn't 
an attractive situation. Now, we are so thankful we have people like Heather who they work and they, they do those mortuary sciences so that they give assistance so that when we do funerals, the bodies are made to look better. If you've seen somebody that is dead, they don't retain a beauty. It goes very quickly. And so he's saying they're so and not pretty, but when, you're, when your body is resurrected, it will be spectacular. What does that mean? Will my head shine more now than it does here that they can't even put the baptistry light on because they get a reflection on live stream? Okay. I don't know what the glory is going to be. But it's going to be my body. You're going to laugh. Okay. My body's going to be spectacular. Okay. If I tell that to Deb, she's going to go, yeah, right. Okay. But that's what he's talking about. How we're going to be similar but superior. We're, our bodies are limited. Would you admit your body is limited? You get tired. You get weak. You get, okay? And he says, hungry. We're going to be raised. We, we won't have those same things. Similar but superior. It's an earthly body, but it's going to be raised a spiritual body. What that simply means, it can live in heaven. It's designed for that. So over and over we have this similar but superior. Your body, what's it going to be like? It's going to be you. But it's going to be so much better you. You know, how and what ways, I don't know all the details. Nobody does. But I do know this, that when he says that we'll bury the image of Jesus Christ, even First John writes, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we know this, that when he appears, we shall be like him. We will bear his image of the resurrection. And how does that work? Well, he still had real flesh, real bones. What else do we know about Jesus? He was recognizable. We know that Jesus ate foods. Well, that's heaven for some of us, right? We know that as well he moved quickly. We know that in that body he was able to pass through some earthly matter he wasn't totally limited the same way that we are limited right now. We know as well he was able to touch others and be touched by others. So we know that his body was so much better. And so the, the next section of this chapter is all about why am I telling you this? And he concludes basically saying, I'm telling you this because you can use it for evangelism. I'm telling you this because you can endure trials and troubles because it's going to get better one day. I'm telling you this because... I want you to just remain faithful to the Lord. And he concludes the chapter with these words that so many of you know. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The resurrection is a reality. It's going to happen. You and I will be in Christ, with Christ forever and ever. Remain faithful now in this time. Give out the gospel. Why? Because one day we're going to get resurrected bodies and be rewarded for what we've done for Christ. Help me and help my friends to be faithful. Help us not just to have facts in our minds, but to be encouraged by the fact that we've got a better day ahead. It's going to be grand. It's going to be glorious. We're going to look spectacular one day. Thank you. Thank you for that hope. Thank you for that assurance. Thank you for that confidence you give us through your word. Help us to live as faithful servants until you come back. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.